As we get started this morning, uh, I wanted to tell you that the text that we'll be going over today in Luke chapter 11, um, I find challenging. And so as we discuss this today, I thought it would be best to start with prayer. This is a series on prayer after all. I also want to ask you of something. I want to ask for your grace this morning. If you hear something that you wonder, what exactly did Cale mean? Did he mean this or did he mean that? I'd like you to lean towards the side of grace. So if you will, please join me in prayer. We're going to, I'll lead, start the prayer, and then we will finish by saying the Lord's Prayer together. It will be on the screen. So will you please pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this moment that we have together. I thank you for this chance to come together as a family of God that you have established here. God, I ask that we would be the kind of church family that would continually join you on your mission that all may know your son, Jesus, that every tongue would confess his name and bow before you. We're thankful for the avenue of prayer that we can be near you, that we can be with you. Thank you for being a God that loves being with his children. And now, Lord, together we pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you again to Cross Point this morning. My name is Cale Courtright, one of the ministers here. And yes, it is VBS starting today. Uh, we hope that you'll be here for this. We hope that you'll bring your kids or your grandkids. Uh, we know that we're going to have a great time together. And if this is your first time here, I promise you that the stage will look different next week. If this is making you a little uneasy, it'll be different next week, all right? So uh, come on back next week, and we'd love to have you join us there. As Brian mentioned, we do have Toy Story 4 tickets. You can go out right out in the commons on your way out today. $5 a ticket. You can't beat that price. And so come join us here in a couple weeks for that. As I mentioned earlier, we are uh, in the middle of a series called So Let It Be. This is a series on prayer. And what we've talked about, uh, really Dave in the communion talk today really summed it up great. And so thank you, Dave, for bringing that to us today. But we've been talking about what it means to pray. Um, Why do we pray is where we start. And we talked about because of who God is, we pray. Because he is a God that wants to be close to his kids. Because he's a good father that runs To you, even uh, when you were not worthy. And so we pray in response to that because we want to grow in this relationship with God. And last week we talked about the Lord's Prayer, that Jesus gave us a prayer to pray, but that if we pray that prayer, that our lives must follow. This is a prayer of a people of the kingdom. We want to be kingdom people, and so when we pray it, we want to live into his kingdom. And as I've reminded us over the last couple of weeks, I want to remind you again today that the primary purpose of prayer is not so that you can change God, but that so God can form you. And so we want to keep that in our mind today, that that is the purpose of prayer, is that we would be formed and transformed into His image. That as we pray, we will look more and more like Him. But as I said, that is just the primary purpose of prayer. There are 
other purposes that we'll get to today. So I want to offer you a piece of advice before we start today, though. Should your house flood, it's best if you're out of the country. You don't take me seriously. I'll give you an example. Uh, This past fall, our house flooded, and I happened to be in Honduras. And do you know how much work you have to do when your house floods if you're not in the country? Not a lot. Uh, So I woke up in Honduras, heard my house was flooding, and this is how Savannah handled the situation, like we all would. She woke up in the middle of the night, found a flood, and she called her dad in Salt Lake City. And he said, well, there's not a lot I can do for you right now. So why don't you call somebody a little closer? So Savannah called Tim, who didn't answer. And, and then she called Robin, who did answer. Robin is a good friend. Now, Robin, Robin and Tim got up in the middle of the night, and they came over to my house, and they helped Savannah, one, stop the flood, and two, clean up after it. Because that's what friends do is that when something happens, no matter the time, they show up. Even at the worst of times, friends show up. And Jesus today will read a story that he gives a message about someone going to a friend in the middle of the night. This is what it says in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 5. All the scripture will be on the screen as well. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my friend and I are, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need Because of your shameless persistence. So I don't know if you've ever had this experience before, but I thought I would try it. And so this week I went down the street in the middle of the night and I picked a random neighbor and I just started yelling outside their house. And I can judge by your reaction that you don't believe me. And you're right, I did not do that because I want my neighbors to like me. And so I didn't didn't do that. But can you imagine a story can you imagine someone standing outside your house in the middle of the night shouting at you? And, and for us, it doesn't really sound like an emergency, right? If someone woke you up in the middle of the night and said, I just need a loaf of bread, we'd be like, have you heard of Walmart? But, <laughs> but this doesn't seem like an emergency to us. But this is the story that Jesus gives. And if you just took this story out, you might not read this and think it has anything to do with prayer. But Luke wants you to know that it does. Because he starts this in verse 5 by saying, teaching them more about prayer, Jesus told this story. So this has something to do with prayer. So this story uses a lot of ordinary objects for the Jewish uh, family. This is, as we have prayed earlier in the same passage... Give us today our daily bread. Baking bread daily is very ordinary. This is something that every Jewish family would have done. They would have had multiple loaves of bread readily available for their family. Now, why the person in this story doesn't um, is anyone's guess. But that would be the norm is that you would have bread available. And this is probably a one-room small house. Um, The man says, my family and I are all asleep. They're probably in one room. 
And as was Middle Eastern Jewish culture, the houses were probably, probably pretty close together. And so imagine if you're shouting even at your house, you can probably hear, your neighbors could probably hear if someone was shouting outside your house. Or maybe you have or do currently live in an apartment. If you were shouting outside an apartment, your neighbors would certainly hear. And all of that is important to know because what's at stake is not just whether or not there is bread available, but whether or not hospitality will be extended. See, we read it and we don't think there's any emergency at stake. Only a friend has arrived and the duty is to extend hospitality to them in the form of a meal. This person cannot do that, and so they're going to figure out a way to extend hospitality. And hospitality isn't just on an individual level, it's on a communal level. So if this person cannot provide hospitality, it doesn't just reflect poorly on him, it reflects poorly on the entire community. That's why he's gone to his friend's house. And that's why Jesus says, even if he won't get up because you're friends, he will get up because of your shameless persistence. See, there's an issue of honor at stake. Will you do this or will you dishonor me and thereby dishonoring my guest? We don't want to be the kind of people that dishonor others. And that's why when Jesus is at a wedding feast in the book of John, his very first miracle is turning water into wine. And we typically read that as a miracle of physics, that there was water and it was turned into wine. And while that is a miracle and that is true, what's at stake is bigger than just whether or not there will be wine for the party. Hospitality is at stake. A family's reputation and a community's reputation is at stake. So when Jesus does his miracle, not only does he turn water into wine, but he saves the reputation of others. So if you read it with that lens, you can see who, what kind of friend would refuse you assistance in providing hospitality for another. A friend would not do that. Jesus uses the word friend four times in this story, and friend is not a common word in your New Testament. But the idea of what kind of friend you are is a common talking point in Jesus' day. How you treat another tells them what kind of friend you are. Do you treat me as lower than you? Do you treat me as more important than you? Are we equals? That's why he says, a friend of mine has come. He also says, you are my friend. Will you prove it by providing me these loaves of bread? So we have some things going on that make this story a little bit more important to them. But when Jesus tells it then, the first century ear would have heard it and it would have been laughable. Of course they'll provide you bread because it is an ordinary object that we have available. What kind of friend won't get up and provide you bread? What kind of person won't extend that hospitality? And so when Jesus told this story, the first century ear would have heard this and it would have been absurd. Because of course they will do that. Not only on the basis of friendship, but because of your shameless persistence. And Jesus will continue on that theme in verse 9. Luke chapter 11 verse 9 says, And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. These are common everyday things that you do and that they did. 
You ask questions. You seek things out that you're looking for. And you knock on doors. This is common language. This is a daily thing that Jesus is saying. When you do this, you will not only, when you ask, you will receive. And when you seek, you will find. And when you knock, the door is opened. And so if you read that, again, if we just pluck this out, you may not know why this is told in the context of prayer. Jesus isn't saying that when you pray, tell a story like this. He isn't saying that when you go for bread, you need to go in the middle of the night. What does waking your neighbor have to do with prayer? It's all about your mindset. It's all about your attitude in prayer. Are you going to be the kind of person that will shamefully persist in your requests? Will you go to God like a friend goes to you for bread? Will you bring everything to him? Because that's how we're taught to pray. There's nothing beneath him. There's nothing that we can't go to him with in prayer. And it reminded me of this quote by Oswald Chambers. It says, we tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything else. That's our example from Jesus' story. So we go to him in prayer and we ask persistently. You know, growing up, I don't know when I learned this lesson, but for some reason I knew that when you prayed, you were not, you were not allowed to ask for a motorcycle. That wasn't allowed, you weren't allowed to do that. Now, you know, like my dad doesn't drive a motorcycle. I've never ridden a motorcycle. I don't know why this was even in my frame of reference, but when you pray, you're not allowed to ask for a motorcycle. And I don't know if my parents taught me that or my church taught me that, but I just knew that if you prayed for a motorcycle, it's just not going to happen. And so we don't pray for motorcycles. And if you're an adult, you might not pray for an iPhone um, or things like that. But these are not the things that we are taught to pray for. And yet in this story, the man goes and he's asking for bread, something so ordinary. And he says, if you persist, it will be given to you. And so we faithfully take everything to God. There's something on your heart right now. There's something going on in your life right now that God says, will you continue to faithfully bring it to me? Will you persist even to the point that it shames you? That you're standing outside a neighbor's house in the middle of the night yelling for not only them to hear, but for the whole street to hear. Is it that important to you? Will you be that faithful to your calling to pray? That's what we're called to do. And so Jesus tells the sword, he says, so I say to you, this is how you should pray. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We've been given clearance to pray. And Jesus says, who is this prayer for? And he says, everyone. Everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks will find. And everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And I looked into that word, everyone, and I wondered, is, this, is everyone the people who... You know how to pray right? Is this everyone, people who are good enough or who are lucky enough to stumble in the right words? The word everyone just means everyone. Jesus says, everyone who asks will receive. Everyone who seeks will find. And everyone who knocks, the door will be open. This is our calling to be the kind of people who will persist in our prayers. And so you've heard those stories before. You've heard about how prayer changes things. And we believe that with our whole heart. 
that we read in the Gospels and in the Bible about prayer, and we know that it changes things. It's not the primary purpose for, God, for us to change God, but if you read your Bible, there are moments that things change because of prayer. And so we lean into that. This is why we pray. And so you've all heard those stories before of someone in a hospital or with some kind of diagnosis, and they prayed and things changed. That it might have even left the, doc- the doctors baffled. We can't explain this. This is the power of God. You've heard the story before of a family on the edge of financial ruin when a job comes along at just the right time. Because prayer changes things. You've heard the story before about an area of the country in drought. And how they prayed and they prayed and at just finally the right time the rains came to break that up. The drought was over. You've heard how prayer changes things. And we believe that. But you also know the alternative to be true. You've also had moments in your life that you've prayed and it didn't go how you wanted. How you went to God over and over and you asked and you asked and you asked and the answer wasn't given. That you sought and you sought with all your heart and you couldn't find. That you knocked and you knocked and you knocked and if someone was home, the door was not answered. So we read this text today and we find some challenges in it. Because we've lived the alternative. Jesus says, everyone who asks receives. And I wonder what happened the time that I didn't receive. I bring up, it brings up all these questions. What did I do wrong? Where was God in this scenario? We cry out to God wondering, where are you? Did we not pray right? Did we not do something right? If you have all power at your fingertips, you can do anything. Why won't you do this? Why am I suffering and won't God do something about it? This is the central question of the book of Job. Job is a book in your Old Testament, and it asks this question. Job is a man that has terrible tragedy after terrible tragedy come to him. And the question is, why do the righteous suffer? And the second question is like it. Do we want God for God, or do we want God for what he can give us? And when you're in these moments that you don't feel like your prayers are being answered, that is the question that comes up. That is our moment with God is to wonder, do I want you for you or do I want you just for what you can give me? In the book, Job's wife and he has a group of three friends that continue to question him and to give him advice. And they think they have wisdom to give. And over and over again, they, they, his wife calls, God, calls Job to curse God and die. His friends blame Job of doing something wrong. That's why all of this has happened. And while Job doesn't believe that his suffering has anything to do with sin in his life, he eventually does give protest to God. And he submits his protest, his question to God. And at the end of the book, God finally responds. This is one of those passages in the Bible that just sends a tingling down my spine. Because here you have a character standing in front of the Almighty and hearing from Him. And when God speaks, He says, you think you know wisdom? You think you know how things 
are and are not supposed to go? Look at what, look at what God says in Job chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? And on and on God goes. For four whole chapters, he questions Job. Did you cause the dawn to rise? Did you show the morning its place? Where were you when I did these things? But what you notice when you read the book of Job is that God does not give an answer to Job. Job's question is, why is this suffering happening? And God doesn't give him an answer. That's why I thought Dave's example today was so good. We are children when it comes to God. His wisdom far surpasses us. This is what we take from Job, is that we do not have his wisdom. In graduate school, one of my first classes... I remember being in there, and it was a room that was surrounded by whiteboards, all four sides. And my professor said, you know, you're here in graduate school, and you may know something about God. And he drew a a line on the board. And he said, over your time here, you may grow in wisdom. You may learn some things. And he doubled the line. He said, you know, there are people in your life, mentors you've had, people that you look up to. And he drew a line that was even longer said, there might be people that you know that are new Christians, that don't know a lot. He drew a short line. He said, we're all here trying to grasp knowledge, gain wisdom. He said, but the problem is, and my professor, who was not a young man, took the dry erase marker and he ran around the whole room. And he drew a line. He said, see, while we're working on little bits of, of growth, God is like this line and it just keeps on going. See, compared to God, we're like a drop of water in the ocean. We have no wisdom when it comes to him. But we can still come to this passage and we can wonder, why doesn't God give an answer? It can still be challenging. It can still be hard. And that's why sometimes prayer is a challenge to us. Because we wonder, will it work? Will God do what I need him to do? But God is God, and we are not. And I don't like that answer, if I'm being honest with you today. I want the answer to be yes, and I want the timing to be perfect. That's what I want. But I wasn't there when the foundation of the earth was formed. I wasn't there when he set the cornerstone. We are not God, and we would be wise to remember that. The world as we see it is not how God intended it. Back in the garden, that's how God intended it. He intended for us to be with him daily. For us to be able to walk with him. The very first temptation, the very first sin from Adam and Eve was that they wanted to be like God. And we haven't changed all that much. That we continually want to be like him. And though the world isn't as it's supposed to be, God's great plan and intention is to make all things new. Is to restore all things and heaven will return to earth and it will be united as one. This world is broken. 
but God will put it back together. So there are things that happen in our life. There are things going on in your life right now, and they are not how God intended it. They are not how God wishes it to be. And you can cry out why and what and won't you do something, God? And the answer might not come to you. That's why we lean on the fact of that God is good. The core of who he is is love. Like a father to a child, he loves you. We call this series, So Let It Be, because that's one of the ways that you can translate the word amen. Now, when you pray, you pray, you go to God and you ask him for this or for that to come into your life and to change something or to fix something. And at the end of your prayer, you say, in Jesus' name, so let it be. And at the end of all things, it will be. That God will come down and he will make all things new. I read from you a quote from Oswald Chambers earlier, but I didn't read you the full quote. This is how the full quote reads. We tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. Most of us would prefer, however, to spend our time doing something that will get immediate results. We don't want to wait for God to resolve matters in his good time because his idea of good time is seldom in sync with ours. And I don't know if you resonate with that, but I know that I do. That when I pray, I want things to be the way that I want them right then and there. And God, I think, is like a father saying to a child, just wait. Just trust that I have wisdom that you can't even understand. That I know what's best for you and that I love you more than anything else. And so I don't know what it is you're praying for today. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I do know that Jesus teaches us to continue to bring those to God. That we continually, to, we continually persist in our requests to him. That we go to him even in the middle of the night to give to him. This is why a practice like journaling your prayers can be so powerful. Because if you're like me and you want immediate results and those don't come, then you can start to doubt the power of prayer. But if you can remember those prayers, if you can put those to writing, then you might can see days or months or even years later how God was there the whole time. God didn't promise you a yes. He didn't promise everything you wanted, but he did promise that he would be there. And he did promise that he would be with you through all things. And so today as we close, we have a couple tables set up. There's just index cards on there. There's some pens or there's pens in your row. And my hope for you today is that you will put down the things that are on your heart. The things that you are praying for. The things that you are persisting in. And that you would carry that with you. That maybe your answer doesn't come this week. But maybe it will come in the week's leading up, coming. I want this to be a practice for you because I want you to know deep in your heart that God is here. And that prayer leads to a relationship with Him. So we want to engage God in that relationship. And this will be a process. And we will change into His image, but it will take time. And our promise as a church family is to be the same promise that God gives to you. That we will be with you faithfully through whatever it is you're walking through. 
We can't promise you an answer, but we can promise that we will be here for you. That's why our shepherds and their wives will be around the room today. Because we want to pray with you. Because we want to be here with you. No matter where God leads you in this. And so we want to pray with you today. Won't you come while we stand and sing?